So what was interesting is how we met recently. Yes. Where I walk into the room and I'm like, oh, hi, I'm Eamon. And you're like, hey, just want to jump in here for a second. I mean, the fact that someone knew my first name, let alone my last name, I found that quite intriguing. And you're like, oh, Eamon Elswa? I'm like, huh? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, does this guy listen to my podcast? How does he know? And, and you know, it was a mutual gathering. So I'm like, okay, I probably met him in the past and I just didn't know. I'm really bad with faces and names, offset leakage there. <laughs> anyway, so, and then you tell me that you actually tried to recruit me once. Mm -hmm. And then you just all of a sudden kind of changed your face and you felt really sad. You know, so I guess I'll describe the scenario. I was applying to a security consulting firm or a security firm. And I uh, was given a VM and, you know, I had to find the vulnerability in it and I did not find it in time. You know, that was part of the journey where I learned about something about myself was that I'm more of a builder than a breaker, right? I had this long career of building and here I was drawn to the allure of pen testing and the glamour of that. So I was trying to, you know, break into that field, but, you know, I have more of a building background than breaking. In any case, tell me the backstory behind that from your perspective. Sure. So uh, many of you may already know that part of the evaluation process for candidates going into any security consultancy will involve some amount of evaluation of that candidate's skill set. You know, we try to capture that empirically if we can. The particular company that I was interviewing Amen for had a fairly rigorous evaluation for its technical side. Now, due to internal company policy, let's say, mm -hmm. we were not allowed to give any feedback whatsoever other than pass-fail. Mm -hmm. And it was, to me, a little unfair because we were asking people to sync. In some cases, I actually knew one person who did sync 60 hours into that VM that you worked on. And to my knowledge, they passed, they ended up getting hired, but it was a slog and I mean, it was tough. But think about those other people like yourself who spent 40, 45 hours were not selected. And remember, you only got into that VM after you had had an hour of your time invested with me on the phone previously. Mm -hmm. So now you're into this process for oh, about 44 to 46 hours of your own personal time. And you are out of the pipeline with no explanation. Mm. So this was the case for a great many people I interviewed at, at that particular company because we simply were not allowed to give any far feedback. And so when I see people that I interviewed in the past who I have specific memories of how hard they tried, because I did speak to you again afterwards, real briefly. Mm -hmm. You know, I had specific memories of how hard you tried and I had specific memories of the frustration in your voice when I was speaking to you. When I do meet people face-to-face, -face, and of course that tends to happen around DEF <laughs> but I do run into people face-to-face -face who I interviewed in the past and we simply weren't allowed to give any feedback. Yeah. I try to convey my actual feelings about it. And my actual sense was I'm horribly sorry, man. Hmm. And, that's, and that's, I believe, the first thing I said to you. Yeah. <laughs> I am horribly sorry. You tried your ass off and, you know, you, you came close. You know, I can't tell you what you didn't get, but it was close. But it wasn't quite up to snuff for the team. And at, at that moment, at that particular time and place, they had a specific standard there. Your response didn't hit that standard at that moment. Mm -hmm. And I guess I put it that way because that was always a moving target. And it usually is for recruiters, by the way. 
you know, where they're asking you to look for somebody and you get that somebody in the pipeline and the next day they send you an updated spec sheet mm -hmm. and you think, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm interviewing, I'm about to waste somebody's time. So, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Of course. And uh, I accept your apology. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, thanks. <laughs> I think what you told me is uh, you weren't allowed to give me more information. No. You wanted to, right? Of course, because I feel that as a recruiter, it's it's on me, especially when I'm talking to entry-level people. It's on me a bit to, if I am not going to bring you onto my team mm -hmm. or advocate for the next round of people to bring you on the team, then I think it's on me to at least provide you direction mm. or else we both wasted each other's time. Right. That's how I feel about it. So. I would have much preferred if every single one of those people, I could have said, hey, you know, work on the network side, work on your web app, you know, work on your writing skills, because you had to turn in a report with that, if you recall, you know, work on that stuff, you had to be able to tell them something, or I just didn't feel like it was of value. And luckily, with Red Mesa, when we talk to people, we'll tell them flat out, you know, okay, you need to improve these kind of skills before we could really use you on our team. Yeah, a little bit of pay it forward, right? Like, yeah, kinda... exactly. Because bottom line, I don't care what Amen's skill set was four years ago, I know that Amen's going to be around and I'm going to run into you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And maybe you decide to go on the builder side and that's pretty awesome. And down the road, I end up scheduling my team for a purple team session with your team, mm -hmm. with the rest of the builders. Mm -hmm. That happens all the time. And it's like, oh, hey, I remember I interviewed you. I'm so glad that you dug in and went the direction that we talked about. That would be nice. But unfortunately, with that first company, there just isn't that opportunity. The only opportunity I have for the folks that we did not select is to go back and just sort of offer my apologies for not. Yeah responding in a constructive sense. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, of course. And it all comes down to, you know, what's your motivation for recruiting? Right. Are you an internal recruiter who understands that, you know, their company will be in contact with these people later for better or worse? Or are you a gunslinger, external, third-party recruiter who might do some security recruiting sometime in the future? And if they do, your name might pop up on their LinkedIn search. That's about it. Yeah. So do you think the whole VM thing, I'd like to talk about a little bit. Sure. Because actually somewhat randomly pinged me and they're going through a VM test as well. Sure. And they're struggling through it as well. And, you know, from my perspective, I mean, I went from recruiter initial talk to VM test, right? Yeah. There wasn't really anything in between to kind of gauge whether I would be successful at that VM. Nope. I mean, from my perspective, I was like, how many hours am I supposed to invest in this? Right. Yeah. Because... We all know that there's a certain amount of time. Everything's a matter of time, right? Sure. If you're like super expert, it's going to take you less time. But if you're, you know, more in the entry level, then you're going to have to invest more time. But like, how much time do I really need to invest? So what are some other steps or how would you have done things differently if you had the choice? Okay. So if I had to build my own process for bringing in entry level InfoSec folks, is that sort of where we're looking at? Yeah, I think so. Uh -huh. Okay. Okay, and honestly, this is something that's been a point of discussion within our company recently. Hmm, okay. Because we're preparing for that. You know, it's something we're looking at in 2021. Okay. You know, down the road as we grow, we're going to need that mentoring pipeline internally. Hmm. So we understand we're going to need the best possible way to recruit from that pool of folks who are just getting in. Mm -hmm. So really, let's look at this holistically. From a company side, what do I want out of recruiting somebody who's fresh and new, right? So I want potential. 
right? I want someone who's going to be able to grow. Mm. And I want someone who's passionate. I'm not going to invest a bunch of time and mentoring into this person, have them turn around and say, you know, I really just rather be in management, Mm. you know, because there isn't any of that in our company. (laughs) There really isn't. We all deliver something, I guess is what I'm saying. Okay. You know, you want passion, you want commitment to that sort of role. You want loyalty. You know, we're not interested in being a high turnover company. And most companies aren't, frankly. Yeah. You know, they just understand that the security resources tend to turn over. So that's what I want on my side. You know, so if everybody wants to read my cards, there they are. So on the recruit side, what are you looking for? You're looking for interesting work, right? Mm -hmm. And you're looking for money. Sure, money's there. You know, anybody getting into InfoSec immediately believes they should be worth like twice as much money, (laughs) which isn't the case, by the way. Entry-level InfoSec is not that much better paying than like mid-level Java development. Mm. You know, you really got to factor that in. You got to be realistic, you know. Right. And I hate to use this edit. Go on one of those websites or several websites that purport to be able to tell you average salaries for various, you know, geographies. Go and take a look at security analysts, just analysts and see what that looks like. It's actually a pretty broad range in the last couple of times I looked. It is, yeah. But it's not that high. So, of course, the motivation will include interesting work, more money. You know, some amount of flexibility. There is a perception that with security, there are more options available to you mm-hmm. in terms of the sort of work that you do in your day to day. And of course, you know, people look at security, people who are true information security professionals, they also have that desire to find a place where they will be able to build their own recognition within the community. And when I say that, I mean, the sort of role where their research and presenting their research specifically will be supported. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, as the recruiter, I've got a, you know, I've been on both sides, so I'm looking at both sets of cards. And so for me, the best way for me to get what I want and the best way for these recruits to get the things that they want out of our recruiting process is number one, provide me with a body of work to look at. And let me make that my first step. Hmm. Okay. I mean, even if it's like the security equivalent to Hello World, okay, and whatever that is at the moment, like you wrote a tool, you know, you wrote whatever, a proof of concept of some sort of exploit, something, let me check that out. Okay. Because if you give me that first interview on the phone, I get to feel you out. Okay, this is, you know, a mammal. This person will be able to sit in front of an executive somewhere and not terrify them. Let me just see that you have a body of work somewhere. Right. And if it isn't conveyed on the resume, make sure I can get into, you know, a website or something just so I can see what you've done. That would be preferable as a first two steps to me. Now, that doesn't mean there shouldn't be some form of empirical evaluation. Mm -hmm. I just Mm -hmm. don't believe that empirical evaluation needs to take 40 hours. Mm. Uh, So we're not expecting our security assessors to be able to write like Shakespeare. That's not happening. Yeah, you got to be able to write a report in general. We have hired PhDs, actually, to be able to clean up your reports. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not looking for you to be able to do those things necessarily. But I guess what I'm saying is there has to be some kind of empirical evaluation. Maybe having multiple levels, right? In our sense, we have sort of a a minimum bar of what we want to see in your body of work. Yeah. And we're going to talk to other people because, you know, 
remember we're looking towards, okay, if we're going to hire from that entry-level pool, what do we expect to see? Well, I expect to see CTFs because I don't care if you're on the red side or the blue side. Mm -hmm. You can go to a CTF, right? Right. I expect to see some form of development. CTFtime.org. Yep, there you go. CTF every weekend all over the world. There it is. There is. There are so many places for people to get involved Mm -hmm. locally, remotely. I don't care where you are. As long as you have a halfway decent internet connection, you can get involved in CTF work. And that's a wonderful way to cross-pollinate, learn new things, all of that. So as long as there is a body of work in terms of CTF activity, that can verify, by the way. i got to be able to verify these things. Right. Oh, bug bounty activity. That's a great one to show. Yeah. That's a good one. You know, you want to show me, you know, how your web app prowess? Show me your bug bounty work. I, I had a guy do that. Actually, I've had a number of people. A woman at the last company I was recruiting for showed me some of her bug bounty work. And I mean, she had two really good years financially hmm. <laughs> from one particular very large company that has a pretty cool web presence that she found some pretty blockbuster stuff on. Cool. So yeah, she kind of took a few years off, just did her own research. And that's the dream, right? You know, the dream, you find the buried box of money, you find, you know, the big vulnerability that somebody pays you lots and lots of money for. And you can go be creative and find yourself for a year or two. Yeah. Anyway, so my point here is, let me see what you've actually done. Let me get a look at all of that. And then our third stage will be a very pinpoint evaluation of the specific skills that we want to really check out. Because we have people that come to us, and let me give you some context around that. Our company may be uniquely positioned to be able to ask for that sort of thing because we do a lot of work around critical infrastructure, monetized gaming, and other very specific verticals, you know, radio frequency work that not a lot of other firms do. So it's easy for us to pinpoint certain skill sets with, you know, small, tighter evaluations. But of course, bringing in people on that lower level, it causes us to have to broaden that approach. So of course, we're going to have some sort of empirical evaluation, but ours will be a bit more pinpointed than what you went through. We're targeting something that takes in the order of one to four hours. Does that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. Sorry if that was a bit long-winded, but I mean, I have to give a little bit of context around, you know, us as a company, I'm going to design this in a much different way than Dell Secure Works will, right? So in summary, what's some pointed advice for companies that are still sending out VMs to entry-level folks right now? What is some advice for you to them? Know what you're looking for. Before you ask that much of these people, know what you are looking for. Are you really looking for every little last thing that you're trying to see that these people can find in that VM? Mm -hmm. You know, is that really what matters to you? The report that they write, does it matter to you that it is a huge report? You know, can you just accept these people's reporting as fill in the blanks? Can you accept that they gave you some amount of prose in a paragraph and, you know, sort of look forward to, well, we'll have someone help them with QAing and we'll mentor them on reporting. Really understand what you're asking. Do you think it's a little bit of gatekeeping sometimes where they just kind of want the entry level person to just go away? Sure. I mean, the bigger the outfit, the more of a fire hose of resumes that they see coming in. Hmm. 
You know, it's, it's just the truth. I see a trickle because people know that we're only hiring for senior level roles. Mm-hmm. So for a company, you know, like I said, I'll go back to like the Dell SecureWorks model. I mean, can you imagine how many resumes they get? Mm. I can't even imagine what that looks like. So they basically have to have a big discriminant, a weed out, so to speak, there. Mm-hmm. And so they'll say, look, you want to throw yourself at this all day long, that's on you see around. But for a company like ours, I'm going to actually remember your name. I personally will remember you. Mm-hmm. And that's not comfortable for me if I remember you and I remember wasting your time. Because the time is the one thing I can't give back to you. Yeah. So yeah, that's the advice I give to these other companies. Make sure you know what you're asking of these folks. And yes, you might be a company that feels that they are in the driver's seat on recruiting and people are beating down your door for that job. If you mistreat those people, they will never forget it. Never. Because I still remember, you know, the, the interviews and the interview processes where I felt that somebody, you know, essentially was not completely respectful of my time or, you know, other things. I still remember those things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, same thing. I would counsel them. Don't forget, you're dealing with human beings. Certainly, you're getting a fire hose of resumes on a daily basis. But the more jaded you, the other recruiters out there become, the more those sought after resources are going to be interested in talking to me instead. Mm. And there's a lot of ghosting out there by recruiters. It's insane. Of course, they don't have time to get back to anybody. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you have listeners who have stories of being ghosted by recruiters, you know, they put in X amount of time and, you know, all of a sudden this person disappeared, never got any feedback. Yes, absolutely. That happened to you. It's going to happen again. It happens more in proportion to, you know, the larger the outfit you're interviewing with because of that fire hose issue. They got so, so many people happening that those recruiters are usually just happy to see names drop out of the pipeline. They're just happy to see fewer names the next morning. It's less people for them to have to answer questions about. It's, you know, less names on the spreadsheet, you know, or whatever they're using. Um, There are so many recruiting systems out there. It's just less to have to deal with. I mean, at the end of the day, especially to a third-party recruiter, Mm. don't be surprised when you're ghosted. That recruiter is hiring for 20 different roles right now. They're probably hiring for (laughs) agriculture, you know, distribution, you know, all kinds of things, all the way to your security role. By the way, here's another one. I don't know if anybody ever told you this, but the more specific the role, the less a bulk third-party recruiter is going to want to do it, Hmm. the less they're going to want to work on it and put effort into it. Because as a bulk recruiter, in the time it takes me to fill a security role at some company, I could have already placed three or four .NET developers somewhere else for essentially the same money. So why am I writing back candidates that you rejected? Probably not. It just doesn't mean anything to me as a bulk third-party recruiter. So yes, you will be ghosted. That's going to happen. Okay, I'm sorry. Now we're getting into a whole other world of that, you know, your interviewers. Mm. Understand that every single interaction with that interviewer betrays something about the underlying company. Mm-hmm. So if you were ghosted by that interviewer, ah, well, okay, that means one thing if it was a third party and another thing if it was an internal. You know, if you're dealing with an internal recruiter and you were ghosted, well, okay, That particular recruiter may have had a bad day and completely missed his own reminder to email you back or something. Or it could betray if it's a common thing and you see this across the board with a bunch of people you know interviewed with that company. 
that probably betrays some amount of internal mismanagement. Hmm. You know, it should tell you something about that company. And, and I remember I, I sent you something about this in an email the other day, mm-hmm. but you really need to interview your interviewers. Yeah. And by the way, recruiters who are listening to this, if you can't answer these questions, you really need to stop and think about how successful you're going to be at getting the recruit you want or, you know, the right recruit for your role. So you really need to be able to answer these things. And if you can't answer them, really think about why you, the recruiter, are in that role either. Okay. Because if you can't recruit for something you're proud of, you need to leave. (laughs) Nice. Oh, that's the truth. If you're a recruiter out there listening to this and you cringe every time and you're listening to this because you want to know about getting these resources, making it easier to work with recruiting security folks, if it makes you cringe to try and recruit security folks seriously, you know, take that vertical off of your lap because it's going to show for better or worse, pretty much every single person I interview is smarter than me. Just throwing that out there. You guys are all smarter than me. And you ladies, all of you can just think circles around me every single time. So all you other recruiters out there, unless you're some kind of genius, they're probably staring straight through you on that phone. So make sure you know why you're in the role you're in too. So let's just talk really quick about interviewing your interviewers. Here's some things that you want to ask the interviewer. So when the interviewer gets to the point of, do you have any questions for me? Don't need jerk like, nope, not at all. Oh my God. Never do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best way to say, I'm desperate, hire me. You know, but no, you don't want that. I don't want to hire somebody necessarily who's like absolutely desperate. Or it says that you're uninterested also. So Yeah, we're just uninterested in my company, right? If it's, I don't know, boy, that's a little, you know, what's going on there? Why aren't they interested? Or why are they just want to like, you know, plow onto the next step without learning anything? It's weird. Right. I always have questions. Ask one, maybe two questions, by the way, I would say. like, Don't ask too many questions. Just ask one or two good questions and think of them during the interview as well. So That's fair advice. But to be honest, I sat with people who had a good five solid minutes of questions for me. And I was happy to answer every single one because that person might stay. Uh-huh. I would say it depends, right? The recruiter, you could probably ask a lot more questions of. But as you go up higher in the chain to people you're talking to, Mm -hmm. and also depending on how much time is left in the interview, right? I mean, it's also incumbent on the interviewer to leave time for questions. Sometimes they won't leave it any time. I'm like so annoyed. Well, true. Yeah. And, And if that's the case, you should always, always be able to say, hey, I know we're running out of time. I have a few questions for you. Can I follow up over email? Mm, That's a good one. And if they won't respond to you, Something's wrong there. Mm. If they're genuinely interested in you, the candidate, going forward and investing some time into what's going to be probably a technical evaluation or something, or even just more interviews, they need to be interested enough in answering your questions. I mean, otherwise, it all comes down to, hey, you know, do you really value your workforce? Mm. And why are you hiring in the first place? I want to be able to answer every question you've got. Everything. And honestly, I am more and more confident in you as you ask me the good questions, because I'm proud of what we're building. And I know that people will be happy here at the right level if we're not throwing them into the deep end too early or something. And I love to answer all of these sort of questions. So, I mean, I I do have a list for people. Mm -hmm. And maybe it is easier to ask just the recruiter or maybe email just the recruiter. But 
they should be able to answer these. And these are questions that really are going to matter to you going forward as the employee. Ask your recruiter, first of all, why do you stay with them? Mm-hmm. And really listen to their answer. I mean, is it this cold, clinical, I make X amount, you know, it's a lot of money, you know, or, or do they really know something about the vision, the future of that firm? Mm-hmm. Can they communicate that to you? That's a big deal because that recruiter should be the ombudsman for that company to you. And if they can't do it, think about that. You know, is this a third party recruiter who really hasn't thought through who it is they're recruiting for? And therefore, it's a huge possibility they're just trying to stick a butt in that seat and you're that butt. Eh, Maybe not so good, you know, because if the answer is, oh, I don't stay with them, I'm a third party. Of course, you got that one nailed. Right. That really cover yourself. Secondly, what's the intended growth path? of this company. You know, maybe your recruiter, if they're third party, probably can answer that one, but you should be able to get that answered via email through them. What's the intended growth path? Organic growth? Are they going to, you know, open up some sort of channel model and bring all their business in through business partner channeling? Or are they going to try to go with an initial public offering Mm -hmm. and, you know, be a listed stock? All three of these things provide you with a different potential future. Right. Right. You're getting into a company that wants to go initial public offering. Cool. That company is going to do a lot of attempting to make itself look more valuable this year. Mm. So be real careful because there's going to be a lot of window dressing, smoke and mirrors going on around. you. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Your company is going to try to grow via channel sales. Okay. Interesting. That means third party off payroll salespeople are going to be sending your team projects. Hmm. What's that going to look like? Do they know what they're selling? Has anybody trained the salespeople out in the channel? Or are they just going to be saying like, hey, these people need a firewall, send it over. And you're like, firewall, I do web app. What are you talking about? You know, like, Is that what's going to be going on? I've seen it happen. Is there going to be merger or acquisition activity going on? Well, I like your question about what conditions are driving. So I'm going to publish this list. Sure, please do. But you want to talk about what's driving this role? Oh, yeah. So what conditions are driving this role? Is it turnover? Is it internal restructuring? Is it organizational growth? So here's a question. So you're going to interview this company, right? And you've read something, you know, some chatter about their whole team sort of quitting within a two month space last year. Mm -hmm. Really think about that. Yeah. See if you can dig in through the community and find out what happened there. Yeah. I mean, if you see that an established firm has a whole range of vacancies all of a sudden somewhere. Right. Is that a new office? It's just organic growth. They're opening a new office in a new city and they just got to staff it out. That's pretty awesome, right? I mean, that's a great time to get in. Internal restructuring. Ooh, okay. (laughs) Are they creating a new team? Do they kill off an old team? What happened here? Yeah. Is security now reporting to the CFO and will never, ever get another budget approved? You know, what's happening? You know, so... You really have to understand those sort of things moving into accepting a role with somebody. Yeah. How long has the role been open? Sure. Did they have an incident recently? And is that why they have the role, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, are they being proactive or reactive, right? All these kind of things will tell you about the culture of the team. Sure. And that's for those internal security roles, right? Blue team. Right. So that's exactly it. You know, did you read about this company having a huge breach last week and now they're looking to staff up the blue team? Yeah, Yeah, that could be a little interesting going in, you know, they're doing their staffing reactively at that point, right? They may not really know what they're looking for. The roles that they're staffing right at that moment may be obviated in a year, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe their reaction 
to this incident, sure, it might follow their determined disaster recovery path or whatever it is they're following. But is that path going to leave the company sustainable? Yeah. I've seen many companies whose disaster recovery left them unsustainable. Wow. Yeah. So really think about that. I mean, if you're going into an internal role based on a recent breach, talk to people again, reach out to your community. Or even worse, where uh, your role is kind of just really a checkbox role. That's the worst. Oh, yeah. The job satisfaction is gone, right? You know, so I have known people who ended up in an enterprise security role, right? Mm -hmm. They're doing all that GRC stuff at a firm that really just wants to be able to say that they exist in that role. Yeah. And so that role will never go anywhere. There will be no upward movements. You know, they just want someone to sit in that spot for, you know, how many years. Or they won't listen to your advice, right? Well, that, but that's going to be, oh, well, that's a whole other issue, right? I mean, internal advice a lot of times is threatening to those around the advisor. Mm. That's kind of the reason why consultancies are, do as well as they do, right? Mm. And they won't listen to me. I got to bring in a third party to kick the doors in and then point and say, see, it's what I've been saying. Our door's broken. That happens all over the place. Something else, man. That's something else. <laughs> that's how it works. And that's the other thing. I mean, does this company really understand the care and feeding of hackers? Right. Are you about to go into a company? So here are the two worst case scenarios. Okay. Number one, worst case scenario is you're going into a security pop-up. Okay. And I'm saying pop-up, meaning rich investors say, you know what? Uh, I just started a security company. That security thing sounds like it's doing well. <laughs> awesome. And uh, yeah, it happens. You know, I know somebody just had this happen to their company. They say, you know, so what we're going to do is uh, we have identified three to four mediocre failing security firms that we're going to buy. <laughs> and we're going to weld them all together and uh, give them a cool name. I love it. We can't fail. I love the impression. <laughs> it's awesome. Oh, it's great. You know, and they oh, yeah, harumph, harumph, good idea. Yeah. Mm, uh. <laughs> So they go forward and the then people do this and they go and they buy a security firm or two and then they go on a hiring spree, hang out their shingle and say, hey, bring us some business. We're ready to go. It never works out that way. You walk into that team as the new analysts, right? You walk into this company that's just been rebranded. You know, people are just getting used to the new logo on the coffee mug. You don't even know what anyone's role is. You've got two separate, fully formed, failing companies that now have to reconcile all of the structure that exists around the consultants, right? So do you need two sales forces? Hmm. Nah, let's get rid of the sales guys. All right, sales guys are out of here. At least at one company, you need two sales directors. Right. Well, but right. the sales guy and the sales girl were really good friends with a couple of those consultants. Now those consultants are bumped because you treat them badly. Well, okay, there's a problem. Hey, do you need all those accountants? <laughs> nah, let's get rid of the accounts. Hell, the accounts. Okay, great. Now you bummed out everybody who's friends with the accountants, and so you end up with this smoking crater that used to be two different badly run companies. And here you are, the analyst who's just got this cool new opportunity with this new company that just sort of formed out a, a couple other companies. And you're excited and you're in and it's your first security job. And all the lessons you learn that first year have nothing to do with technology. 
(laughs) And they have everything to do with surviving in a corporate nightmare. Yeah. And what you learn from that role and what you bring forward into my company when I interview you is then difficult, right? PTSD, basically. Right. And man, because there's a big disconnect between how companies communicate they value information security professionals to these people versus how they act like they value these people. Gotcha. So, you know, words, you know, it's that old axiom, your job is not your friend. You know, your job is your job. Hmm. And, you know, keep that separate in your head. And you do everything you do to the best of your abilities, of course. But remember, end of the day, your job is not your friend. Your job is your function. And if that function begins to ail you, begins to harm you, then you need to step back and really look at it in a holistic sense. That's the other thing. Holistically, if you're in a position that is destroying you, are you protecting your value? Probably not. Mm. Because when you come to me as a recruiter, as a destroyed person, and I can tell, like I'm looking at you and you're just tired, you know, and yeah, you're ready for a career change. I'm ready to get into something new. I really have to sit and consider, okay, Am I giving this person a role that's going to ask, because it is a step up from where they were, is it absolutely going to roll back on them and crush them because they've had their spirits crushed at this other role for so long? Hmm. And it might not stop me from hiring somebody at all, but you know what it might do? It might make that person the one person I worry about the most and check up on the most in the company. And that definitely happens. Yeah. Wow. That's deep. Yeah. Well, I mean, everybody's got somebody in the company they worry about the most. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. If you're worth your salt, if you're a human being, there's someone else on your team, your squad that you worry about the most. And you know what? You're hiring that person they're going to worry about the most. And you've got to really think about that dynamic going into a tight-knit red team, going into a really tight-knit blue team. You know, what does that bring when the person that everyone's going to rely on may be a shattered person at that point? And it's hard. I think whether you're an internal recruiter or external recruiter, I think it's seldom that recruiters empathize so much past the hiring point, frankly. And you're right. And that's because people don't understand the care and feeding of their employees. Or it's not they don't understand, they just don't care. Once they're in the door, they're just human capital. Now they fail over, you know, in a big company, they fail over into now they're part of the human capital pool. They're managed by human resources. They're no longer on our radar screen necessarily from you know, a recruiting standpoint, because now they're strictly in a maintain and run mode with HR. And in like a boutique size company, go the other direction. So now you're answering to a founder, you know, you bring somebody in and now they're probably actually under the microscope, mm-hmm. you know, far from falling away and disappearing. Now they're under a microscope at the whim of that founder or founders, depending. So, you know, I mean, you're kind of taking it either way, no matter what kind of organization you're going into. Now, that being said, if you can find that unicorn, which is the self-aware, emotionally intelligent organization, Mm -hmm. then you'd be all right. But, you know, you can't really count on that. And that's where it comes down to everybody needing to understand, hey, be true to yourself. Never forget who you are. Understand the value of the Halloween mask and just be holistic in your thinking, be holistic in your planning. Don't ever lose sight of the fact that it's not your friend. It's your job. You need an exit plan, whether it's the big exit plan where you're retiring in 40 years or the little exit plan where maybe you just need a way and escape hatch off the team you're on. 
maybe that's all it is. But, you know, you've always got a plan. I met an attorney who was absolutely bored with his life. He was a tech patent attorney. You know what the guy told me? He said, my job involves describing in tiny detailed sentences what happens when everything blows apart. That's his job. And you've got to play that role for yourself. You've got to be your attorney where you have that detailed, granular, step-by-step plan for when it all starts to come apart and you're no longer learning anything and you're getting burnt. They're just throwing you on project after project after project that just aren't you. Mm -hmm. You've got to already have that plan, whether you do it on a bar napkin or whatever, you got to be able to reach over for the good of your emotional health. You got to be able to look at that and say, there is a way out. I'm going to start executing against this list. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people are willing to do the work. It's just how they're treated while doing the work, right? Well, certainly. They're willing to put in the extra mile, but I think they just want to be treated like humans, right? You're absolutely right. And that's why, and I get further into that where, okay, if you're coming to me from big form, how are you treating my humans? Mm-hmm. And that's an enormous problem. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely a huge problem because you're coming in from like Bay 4. You got Bay 4 ideas. You got Bay 4 customer service, you know, skills. That's cool. You're going to be client facing. Also, you think you're up in the treehouse and everyone that gets hired after you isn't. That's not okay. What does that mean exactly? Up in the treehouse, like when you're kids, right? So a couple kids build a treehouse and they're the cool people. And for a while, they let some other kids come up in their playhouse, but it's largely just to have the ability to then throw them out of the treehouse and denigrate them with their friends that they keep in the treehouse later. (laughs) I see. I always wanted a treehouse when I was younger, but never got the chance to have one. You know, we had this enormous mountain ash in the backyard that I always wanted to build a treehouse. And I was always allowed to, but it never got further than steps. Yeah. Because it always degenerated into a game of pirates and it just never got into the building phase because we were having too much fun playing pirates. So. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> and I get this all the time. Like I would interview people and they start to get comfortable with me and here come the horror stories. Okay. Right. And okay, guys, ladies and gentlemen, I should say, mm-hmm. I behoove you do not tell horror stories to your recruiter. Okay. Yeah. You never, ever, never trash an ex to your current, right? Absolutely. Yep. Ever, ever, ever do it. I never do it. Now, that being said, I'm a different kind of recruiter and I don't, <laughs> I don't mind someone crying on my shoulder. So, I mean, if you tell me your horror stories, I'll keep your secret forever. But most recruiters, it's considered kind of trashy to talk about horror stories from the past. But it also allowed me to sort of accumulate a lot of horror stories. And I got to tell you, that security pop-up is one. And then the next worst is the reactive big company who just discovered security today. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful example. There is a company that I spoke to their CEO and CFO one day, specific events on the sidelines of a specific event. And these folks chuckled at me and said, quite literally, he called me son, which I hate. Wow. I uh, said, son, nobody is going to want to hack us. Oh my. You know why? We just do blank. And that blank was, they were involved in some natural resources. And I said, okay. And they said, so you don't worry. All that is an insurance scam when it comes down to it. But I'm sure you folks will convince enough people. Wink, wink. And I thought, okay. I'm not trying to be conspiratorial with you, sir. And I don't believe that what we do is snake oil. But, you know, hey, best of luck. Great meeting you. Hmm. 
and this was a, a while ago, by the way. And, you know, about a year later, of course, they have to disclose to all their investors, they had a massive breach, hmm. all manner of sensitive data was exfiltrated, wow. known wow. to be exfiltrated and, and it had to be disclosed to the investors. Yeah. So yeah. you get that and you know what they did? They turned around and said, we're going to build us a security team. I even explained to you the absolute Rube Goldberg machine of a security apparatus they slapped together after that point. I had spoken to someone who ended up basically leading an engineering team there. And it was one of these deals where you got security in your title. Awesome. Come on in. I think we need somebody for AIM. That sounds good. That's a three-letter acronym I can get behind. Uh, you, what do you do? It was like that. And they hired like a whole bunch of people. And yeah, these people had definite security skills. And then over the next two years, that company sort of sorted out what their actual security roles were. Well, they already had people sitting in desks. Turnover wow. was ridiculous. Job satisfaction was non-existent. Effective security detection was gone, right? Mm. You know, you can only detect what you're looking for. And they didn't know what the hell they were looking for half the time. I think, uh, boy, I don't want to get into any kind of specifics, but it was basically one of those deals where, I mean, they really didn't even understand what their own threat surface looked like. Mm. So when you go into a company and you're purporting to be defending them, and that company doesn't actually know what their threat surface looks like. You know, it's somebody telling you, okay, you're going to go defend the castle. Well, where does the castle end? Over there. Go stand there. There's a spear. And that's kind of what it was like. So you got to be really careful. Go into a company with your eyes open. Ask these interviewers questions. Go and be as creepy digging into that company as you figure they're going to be digging into your social media. And by the way, I don't do that for the record. <laughs> I only look at your publicly available LinkedIn unless you link to me, as Amen did after our first interview. Amen did link to me, and I went and snooped his profile, and it, it helped. I thought, great, look at this guy. You know, it's great stuff on this profile. I will not go and snoop your Facebook. That is completely unethical. It is not a professional network. I'm not looking at your Twitter. I'm not going to go find your Instagram. I may be different in that way. I know there are other recruiters that religiously do this sort of thing. And they say, you know, well, OSI, right? You know, I, I want to be able to use open source intelligence in every part. Mm -hmm. I feel like, hey, you know, we're sort of making this agreement that you're going to sort of open the kimono a little and let me look into your professional life anyway. I want to at least be honorable and not start rifling through your personal life. Mm. So recruiters out there, I hope you're hearing that. Because mm. it is kind of dishonorable to go and rifle through someone's personal life if you're interviewing them for a professional. That's just me. And that's how Red Mesa exists. But hey, you do you, recruiters. That's why we have such a great reputation out there. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to bash my own kind, but man, I've had enough of that sort of issue. So anyway, as I'm saying Dig into your prospective employer. Look at everything. They're public. Go dig into those public reports. Learn how to read those quarterly and annual filings. Figure out if the board is driving a whole bunch of, you know, assessment next year or, you know, just security improvement. If you're seeing that showing up at the board level, 
you know that somebody in that big company is tasked with writing the strategic imperative that the C circle will have to follow. And they will push that down all the way to specific initiatives, specific projects, specific tasks, all the way down to the engineering level in that company. And when you see those things in a report, think about that. Okay, I'm coming in on the blue team side of this company that has been basically inundated with discussion of defending that company at the board level. There's a huge driver for this. I need to understand that going in because it's likely my team is going to have a pretty good sized budget and, you know, cheerleading from the top levels. Mm -hmm. That's a great thing to know going into that company because you're going to be able to really make some sort of difference. You probably have more of a chance of making a serious delta. Whereas if you go and look up that company and there is absolutely nothing discussed about cybersecurity in any sense, in any of their filings, press releases, anything, you might be dealing with a company that just doesn't know what security is for. Yeah. So do your research. One last thing is you mentioned meet your team. Yeah. Watch the team interaction closely. If you're just interviewing one-on-ones, how do you get the opportunity to meet the team? Like maybe go to lunch? Ask. Yeah. Ask. You know, you get way into the interview where, you know, the interviewer is asking you to make commitments of any kind. Mm-hmm of any kind, stop and ask to meet your team. It should not be a problem. It should be something, unless it's a highly distributed company, ours is highly distributed, okay? So if you came to me and said, I wanna meet my whole team, I would say, you're gonna have to wait till DEF CON. (laughs) Right. That's the only time we're all in one place, we're spread out across the planet, I'm sorry. But what I will do for you is I will get in front of you and I'm sure our president at that point Drew Porter will want to get in front of you too. And you can see how we're going to interact. You're going to see how we're going to interplay. But remember, again, we're slightly different because everyone who comes into our firm has to be a self-starter and be able to manage their own projects. So the interplay you're going to see between me and Drew or me and the other consultants will be essentially a group of equals talking. Yeah, but like, I think you're pointing out, are they supportive or adversarial? Well, there's that. Yeah, there's, are they supportive or adversarial? And are you seeing no one can do anything for themselves and no one's a self-starter? Are you seeing those kind of glimmers in the interaction? Are you seeing that no one can kind of do anything until one top guy moves? Mm. Think about that. Are you going to be cool in that environment? Yeah. Are you more of a self-starter? Are you more of an independent? Are you going to look at this team and saying, boy, my leash feels pretty short today. Gotcha. You know, that's a problem. Yeah. So remember, never forget who you are and never forget what you're going to be comfortable with in a team sense. Yeah. Well, Nick, I really think you're one of the most unique recruiters out there. (laughs) I hope not. I hope not, man. I hope that's not true. (laughs) I don't know, man. I think you're one of the most human recruiters I've ever met. Thank you. I was definitely blown away by your humanity at dinner. And I was kind of lucky that we got to sit at the same table at dinner the other day through some awesome mutual friends. Yeah, absolutely. I feel very lucky too. I was very happy to have been able to see you again. Yeah. And frankly, I am honored to be included in the company at that table. Yeah, same here. Very much so. Yeah. So I think everyone in all different levels of security hiring can benefit from this discussion. I hope so. Yeah, whether you're a recruiter, analyst, hiring manager, 
everyone in between board member. So I really appreciate your time today. Certainly, anytime. Yeah. If I can ever be of assistance to you or any of your listeners, go ahead and fire away. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty easy to find out there on LinkedIn. Cool. So yes, anything I can answer for. Yeah, I think we'll have a follow-up next year. We'll see how the state of recruiting is next year. <laughs> yeah, hey, maybe we can panel at DEF CON or something. There you go. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Hey, you should have your own event. Yeah, we'll try. Coffee with Amen at DEF CON? Come on, man. It has a nice ring. That'd be great. It has a nice ring. Set you up. I'm always down to do that. Anytime, man. Anytime I can help you, I am absolutely at your disposal. Let me know. Cool. And uh, I love your channel. I love the concept. Thanks, man. And please, anyone who hears this, just dig in. Don't lose faith. You will find the right spot. Just be patient. Be confident in yourselves. And remember to adjust that Halloween mask. Nice. Well said. <laughs> Thank you, Nick, for sharing. It's been awesome. Anytime. Thanks, man.